Okay. Today on the Wacky World of Diabetes podcast, I am pleased to have Kevin Sayer, CEO of Dexcom here. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So before we talk about, you know, sensors, Dexcom and all that stuff, why don't you, you know, I do what I do, always do on these podcasts, share your background with the folks so they know a little bit about where you came from, who you are, what you do. Sure. I started out uh, post-college as, as a CPA, worked at the firm of Ernst & Winnie before I became Ernst & Young and then even afterwards. I had many, as you would call them, wacky clients, uh, companies that would grow really fast, crash and burn, some would make it, some would get bought. And I did that for a long time. I, I knew I needed to get out of that business, but I never found the right opportunity. And uh, one day, one of my bosses referred me to this company named Minimed. He said, I think you might like this company. Uh, I, I met with them in the fall of, of actually 1993, and my instinct said, no, nah, it's not time, don't go there yet. And then several months later, they called me back and said, you really need to come, all the things you said were doing wrong. You were right, so please come and join us. And it was the only phone call I took that day at work, and I said, I'm coming. I went home and told my wife, pack up, we're moving. And then went to work at Minimed with Al Mann, where I then my first interview of a future employee was Terry Gregg. And he was going to be the head of quality, clinical, and regulatory. I didn't even know what any of those things were because I was living in my little finance bubble. And I met Terry. I interviewed him. I said, so tell me exactly what it is I'm interviewing you for. <laughs> but what made sense to me about all that was the fact that devices could control a medical condition like diabetes better than people could. And just being around Al was pretty energizing too. So I got into diabetes then early and then we had quite a ride there. Sold the business Medtronic. It didn't quite work out with me and them and that's fine. I don't think I could do the big company thing long term. Did a couple of other things that didn't work out very well. I did join the Dexcom board in 2007 when Terry came back. And then in 2000, uh, and Terry's exactly 10 years older than me. So in 2010, my previous, my company before Dexcom was wrapping up and the board said, you know, Terry, you're going to want to retire someday. Kevin's available. We need to do this now. <laughs> and I looked around the room. I said, well, I live in LA. I, let me think about it. I thought about it for not very long and we moved down here. So Dexcom did 40 million in revenues the year before I came and, you know, 1.9 billion last year. It's been the ride of a lifetime. Well, I used to think that, you know, Terry was just pulling people out of, you know, the old Minimed alumni to build Dexcom. So. <laughs> you know, we've known each other for a very long time and we're so different as personalities. We very much play well together. And so it, it, it was the perfect spot for me to land. And the thing that, and there's actually been articles written about that. This, as far as working with somebody, having Terry here, Knowing if he was yelling at me, it was only because he wanted to be successful. <laughs> it made it really easy. And, I, and I'm very serious when I say that. He, he'd come in and say, now I'm ruining the mic by pounding the table. That's okay. <laughs> but I'd figure it out, you know. And, and so having somebody that I'd known for so long, knowing full well that we were aligned, made it easy. And it was the best way to come and be a CEO for the first time, having somebody like that to work with. Now, did you ever envision where this would go i mean you know i mean obviously cgm is now becoming the standard for glucose monitoring so when i was at minimed i saw my first glucose sensor in like 1994 and across the room they put little wires and beakers 
that had paper on the bottom of them, 100, 150, and 250. And they had like a an old high school basketball scoreboard clock above them. And they put the wire in and you'd watch the scoreboard on the beaker run up and get a number close. And I thought, sensors are done. This is going to work. This is awesome. But I always envisioned in those early days that it'd be part of this combined system and this pump and we'd have the artificial pancreas or automated insulin delivery. And I thought it would all naturally fit into there. I, I didn't really think about in my early days replacing finger sticks when I was back at Minimed. But as I came here and we started looking at this, it, it becomes pretty obvious when you talk to a patient that there's no need to stick your finger if you can deliver this data. In fact, replacing once replacing finger sticks became the battle cry, <laughs> you know, it made us all go faster and, and think more. I didn't necessarily envision we get to this size. You know, most medical device companies go through this journey and somebody buys them at some dollar value in sales. We sold Minimed at $400 million in revenue. So you assume that somebody at some point in time is going to take it because they have a big infrastructure that you don't or what have you. Or And I never came to work that way. I've never run a business that way. But that's usually how the book is written. And that just never materialize here so we just keep going <laughs> and, and so i would tell you that vision started changing when we launched g4 here more than anything else when we launched g4 and we realized that we could make something reliable enough that people could actually make decisions on it it's like you know what we we really can take this bigger so i, I and i would say now the biggest boundaries we have or the barriers we have are ones we create no, the business has changed a lot. You know, here we are. We're, we're you know we live in a world where everybody's got a smartphone. Yeah. And I, I want you to explain to people because I think this is one of the most misunderstood aspects of the whole sensor business because there's so many sensor wannabes about what you have to go through. Not only building a manufacturing facility, but dealing with. Apple and iOS and Android, you know, keeping up with their changes, you know, explain how that's changed the dynamic. Let me start with the manufacturing just for a little bit first, because when I when I started here, I went toward the manufacturing plant and saw all these people doing all these manual things, putting these things together. And there was like one of our employees who literally tweaked the knobs on the chem compounds that were dipping to make the sensors. And if he tweaked the knobs wrong for a day, it didn't work and we could manufacture X out of 3000 sensors a day. And that was plenty and life was good. And, but there was great variability in the product. You can make 10,000 really good sensors and get them approved for a study. You can probably make a hundred thousand, but turning those processes into making millions is really hard. And it required a lot of different mindset changes here at our company as we've evolved. Now we're so deep into these markets with all this technology that the people who buy this product, they just expect it to work. Whereas when we started, David, you were one of the early users. Okay, it's off today. I'll put another one on. I'm good. Well, if I read about this in People Magazine and I bought it because I read an article in People Magazine, I can't accept the fact that it doesn't work and I'm going to call and yell at somebody and not really understanding or accepting the technology. So the scale is critical and the cost is critical, but all of the Bluetooth stuff and everything, it is very complicated. And we were the first medical device ever to foray into the phone. And we thought we had it figured out. And then we launched our G5 system and 
while it's compatible with all the iPhones sitting in the bench, the fact that Junior dropped his iPhone 15 times isn't our fault, but it becomes our fault because no one ever believes the problem is the phone. The problem is always Dexcom. And then you'll get versions of Android or iOS pre-release and we'll configure it to that, but we're not close to anybody's most important customer. Well, some of the features we plan for in the pre-release get changed before the release and then things don't work right. And there have actually been changes implemented in post iOS launches that we called them up and said, you got to change this. Well, we'll do it with the next 1.0 or 1.1 or 1.5 because you have things that, that quite honestly might turn your, your signal off in the middle of the night because we're gonna save battery power or something that is a good idea for 9% of the users of that, but it's not, it's not for our patients. The mute button. God forbid the mute button. I mean, we've got to override the mute button for alarms. Well, people didn't want the mute button. The FDA said, you got to override the mute button. We're getting letters. One in particular, I remember from an attorney, I'm standing up to deliver my closing arguments. The mute button is off so I don't get alerted for my Dexcom. And it just starts going, you know, over and over. But we overrode the mute button because we were asked to. And so you've got to figure out what is the right solution and the balance. And then you add Android to that. And every Android phone has its own little tweaks. And we would go to the agency. Okay, we're going to support 10 phones. No, you're not. <laughs> you're going to support more, more. There's more than 10 Android phones being used. And the mute feature on Android is vastly different than the mute feature on Apple. And, and you just, over and over again, there's just new things that happen. I was in the Philippines. I, I laugh a bit about, about this. You know, we have tech support in the Philippines. I was in the Manila office. I was trying to be a good supporting CEO. And I went out and sat down next to this young man. He had his Dexcom green shirt on. He was taking a call. They gave me the headset to listen to him. And it was somebody who bought the Razer gaming phone, <laughs> which is not on our compatibility list. And this person is berating this poor young man. And I can't say a thing because I'm just supposed to listen. I'm going, so this is what these guys get every day. You know, it's it's really hard. It's not simple. And the other thing we assume when we went to a phone is no one ever wanted a receiver. That's not at all the case. <laughs> I was hoping to get rid of the receiver and not have to support it anymore. But there is a large percentage of Dexcom patients who don't want this thing bugging them on their phone. And if it doesn't bug them on their phone, then they don't have to share their data with it. somebody who's going to bug them. <laughs> and that even makes them more happy. And so... Yeah, once you become a consumer product, you're held to the standard of the phone. Well, let, let's talk about because you guys have this, you know, listen, you're aware of what people say. You know, Apple wants to be in the business, yet you have a pretty good relationship with Apple. We do. Can you kind of clarify for everybody, like, you know, it, you know, Apple's a partner? Are, are they a competitor or what? <laughs> I would say they are a, uh, they're not really a competitor because they're not measuring glucose yet. I would say they are trying to figure out how all this fits in with their vision of health. Their vision of healthcare is it, it's, it resides on your wrist. And that watch becomes a healthcare tool that integrates with your phone, that can measure all kinds of things and sense your healthcare and while you're going and then everybody's on and an Apple Watch and, and all that stuff goes on. And I think they would love to measure glucose. But they help us with, you know, with engineering things. Our engineers call them up. Look, we're trying to do this and that. Can you help us with this? They've been 
very good as far as getting our apps up on the app store and everything. And, and I've talked with some of the most senior people there. I can pick up the phone and talk to them. So I, I think it's a healthy relationship, but it's kind of, it's we work together, but it's not like we're going to make your business grow. You're going to make ours grow. In all reality, the percentage of iPhone users who are Apple Watches that are Dexcom customers is probably higher than any percentage of customer segments <laughs> in the Apple world. Because, you know, for our patients to have that data on their wrist it is a good deal. It's very important. But so we work with them. You know, Google, we have our relationship with Verily and we've worked with them. But let me ask you, we don't really know what Google is doing. We know Verily has on Duo and they're working on diabetes solutions. But you read about Google Health one day and this other guy. I don't know what their long-term plan is. Technology wants to get into healthcare because they see that as their next growth opportunity. It's just how they're going to get there. What, what about like an Amazon? So Amazon has one thing everybody else doesn't have. They have distribution. And they do also have great capability to process and move data with AWS. We've been up there and spoke with them, but we really, we've talked, you know, we work with them or consider them for possible simplified distribution solutions someday. I don't know what their plan is either. You know, the whole thing with Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan dissolved, but they've also got Amazon Pharmacy now and PillPack and the other things. If they go solve the healthcare distribution problem first, that would be very interesting, but I, I don't, I don't know what any of these guys are doing long term. I would love to say I do, but but, but I don't. Now, what about the dynamic with now, you know you're you're now in the you know pharmacy channel, so you've got Walgreens and CVS to, to you know deal with. What's that like? It's different for us because we're not the type of product they're used to selling, and it's not our core competency. In the beginning, you know, most of the guys, you made a statement earlier, Terry recruited a bunch of Minimed guys to come here. Most of our people came from the durable medical equipment world and now we're in the drugstore. And marketing there and getting space on the shelves, designing products that aren't in great big boxes with great big user guides, which is what we've done in the past. Whereas designing something that'll fit on a pharmacy shelf is it's a different mindset for us. And we've had to change the way we think. The drugstores are fine to deal with, it's all the levels in the middle with the PBM and the wholesaler and then the drugstore and all the rebates and everything goes back and forth. Understanding how that works has taken years. It's almost more complicated than making sensors, quite honestly. Wait a minute. So this is our price, but we discount this, but we rebate this. So just how much do we get? <laughs> how much do we get and how much does the patient pay? Is it okay for the patient? Is it when it's all done? Is it okay for both of us? Yeah. Okay. Then, then I'm fine. So it is a different way of thinking, and it is a different way to do business. Well, and then it, like like you didn't need enough other issues or things to deal with. You've got relationship with Lily. We do. You know, uh, Novo says they're going to be agnostic sensor wise. You know, we, you know, God knows what Santa Fe will do or won't do. But I don't know. How did how's that dynamic play out for you? All of these partnerships have been very interesting relationships, David. It's it's been really hard to turn any turn many of them into dollars. We've turned them all into work. <laughs> I mean, you know, go back in the day we signed our first insulate agreement in 2007 and we're on the verge of actually getting a joint product out, which I think, you know, we're very excited about. We have worked with Tandem for a very long time. We did have a relationship with J&J and Animus that was actually producing revenues for us. So we, we work together lots. We share lots of ideas and lots of 
uh, uh, you know, of stuff back and forth, then the question is, how does it turn to dollars? And it will be interesting to see how this plays out over time, because at the end of the day, while we're all partners, we all have to look out for our own interests as well. And how do we preserve these relationships while preserving our, our, our own interests? If we have a different distribution channel for, let's say everything we do is in the pharmacy and everything Tandem or some other pump manufacturers in DME, how do we make that work together for our patients? I, I think Lily's a different one. Uh, you know, with the pharmaceutical, they're trying to get into devices. We think you and I share the same opinion that a Bluetooth pen would be a wonderful addition to the software. But then you get back to the question, who controls the data? Who controls the experience? How's this going to be branded? Is it, you know, and, and, and the, the constant thread in all these relationships, particularly with our, our intensive insulin users, if you did a survey to find out which brand they rely on the most, it's ours more than anybody else. I mean, our brand is really strong amongst our patient base. Over and over again, this sensor has changed our life. This, this sensor is the most important thing we've ever had. And so within these relationships, you almost have to ask yourself the question, how much of our brand do we give to the other guy? You know, or are we being too greedy on our own? What is the right way to structure this thing? And, you know, early on in the day, we were going to be Intel inside. And just, oh, all of you take the sensor and go. But that's really a hard model to do because we're not really Intel. This is a highly regulated business. And, and, and so I, I think you'll see it become clearer over the next several years. But yeah, it is very confusing. You know, well, let's talk now. about, you know, have you have you given thought of, you know, developing your own device, you know, coming up with what I like to call a Tyler? And Every year we, we analyze what businesses do we want to be in and, and how do we want to attack the diabetes problem. And, or, or the diabetes opportunity rather than the diabetes problem, because it really is an opportunity to, to enhance people's lives. And every year we've come back with, we have so much growth left in where we are and so much to do. Let's stay with what we're good at. The one thing about our culture here is we, we are builders by nature. We have not been really good acquirers at the time. Uh, we've acquired a few small companies and tried to integrate them. And while we've acquired great people and stuff, I, that's not what we've done. We've been an organic growth story. And starting from scratch in those businesses doesn't make a lot of sense to us when we have so much to do on our own. But we evaluate it all the time and we're happy with where, where we are now as, you know, the sensor that can drive automated insulin delivery and, and hopefully someday that pen experience uh, with Lily, Novo and others. And then take care of other, you know, pieces of health and, 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 and overall healthcare, type 2 diabetes and other things we can go to. That's that's our strategy. That's what we're working on. That's what we're good at. Uh, we haven't found a reason not to be good at that because our growth's been so strong. I don't know that we can handle anything else. So let, let's talk about the future a little bit. Do you or believe that there, there's going to be a day when your sensor measures something other than glucose? We look at sensing other compounds and we look at our technology and its ability to adopt other compounds. We test that. We've tested multi-analyte configurations of what we do. The question I keep asking the team as we look at these things is, what problem are you solving? Does a ketone measurement 24-7 solve a problem for us? I haven't got a yes answer back. It might for a select group of our patients, but adding that much complexity to the, to the device, is it worth it to do both those things 
at the same time. We've looked at other analytes, lactic acid and a, and a couple others. What's the market for this? And, and we put ourselves to a very strict criteria. What problem are we solving and what's the payback going to be? We've had to behave more like a big company analyzing those options. We have an advanced technology group that tests it all. They've made some interesting progress on some of these things. Lactic acid, for example, for workout guys like you who are running triathlons, doing tri that would be a great device for you to wear for a month while you train. But are you going to wear it forever? And where are you going to buy it? And how are we going to distribute it? And what is the FDA path? Lactic acid also is a, a very good detector of sepsis in a hospital. So maybe a hospital center with lactic acid and glucose at the same time. So we look at those types of, of opportunities. We have not really picked some to really commercialize and go after. They're all in the early phases. I think most important to us is this glucose business will remain the cornerstone or the franchise around which we build everything else. And then we'll see where it goes from there. I think there are a number of software and analytics experiences off of glucose that are more important to our business than measuring a bunch of other things. You know, I've had this vision forever and we're not there yet. But I've always believed with all this data we get from patients that I gotta believe after six months of watching somebody's glucose data uploaded from their phone every five minutes, that we can probably do it, figure out when you're having a good or a bad day. And maybe tell you at six o'clock, you know, your day today looks like that day you had about three months ago where you felt awful. You might wanna do something different. We haven't even developed analytics like that around glucose yet. And I don't even know how to get them individualized and get them approved for the individual. I mean, you're headed down regulatory paths here as you get into artificial intelligence and prediction and stuff that is even more novel than what we're doing now. But I, I, I mean, those are the directions I'd rather us go to begin with. And, and, and So you, you see this always, though, as a regulated product? No, not always. Okay, so you, there is, there is a, the quote-unquote opportunity or option to market something that quote unquote is not FDA approved? Well, I think it'd be FDA approved, but I don't know that it has to be distributed the way it's distributed now. I would rather it be FDA approved and regulated because we know how to play in that space. And I think if you're giving glucose data to somebody who could make a decision for diabetes therapy, it should be regulated and it should have a level of accuracy and performance. But I don't know that we have to distribute it the way. Well, let's say we get outside of diabetes, though, because, you know, there's a growing, you know, body of evidence that says that, you know, we could use this data, you know, for weight loss, you know, pre-diabetes, whatever you want to call it. Do you see that having to be regulated? I think the device itself going, well, I can tell you where we've been in our discussions with the agency and the, in the industry in general. And the belief is... If there's a glucose number upon which a patient can make a diabetes treatment decision, then it needs to be regulated. And if, you know, so let's run through the scenario. You're selling a weight loss device that's 30% inaccurate and it's on the shelf in Best Buy. Somebody doesn't have insurance, but I can get this sensor at Best Buy that'll give me a number and I can regulate my diabetes treatment off it. And now you got people in the hospital. That's the concern. If the device is accurate and regulated, these ICGM standards, while they're very difficult to meet, if you meet them, you can do pretty much anything with the device that you want to. Well, if I'm getting that device and it's 10% accurate and I'm using it for diabetes, even though it's not labeled for such, you, you still mitigated the risks by giving an accurate number. I would argue 
with just the trends, you're still giving them better data than they're getting with the approved regulated finger stick. <laughs> so I think it's something that'll play out over time. But I, you know, there is a growing community of people who want to use this device for something other than diabetes care. Now let's, you know, obviously the, the competitive environment is pretty much Abbott and the Librite. You know, Medtronic is, you know, got a built-in installed base for, you know, with pumpers, whatever. But let's go beyond that. Let's go beyond the obvious here. Is there something out there that's, that keeps you up at night and says these guys or this group of people might be onto something? Yeah, it's interesting how my perspective on that has changed over time. I remember I used to go to the JDRF things and people would stand up and talk about the cure and I would say, that'd be awful if we had a cure. And then I finally woke up one day and said, you know what, that'd be the best thing that could ever happen for the world. And how stupid am I to sit here and worry about, about the business interests. If it's easier, anything that makes the experience easier for people is what I would keep me awake at night. And, and how do you find easy? It's gonna have to be something that people can rely on. And there's gonna be an experience that trumps what we can create from soup to nuts from the time you find out about this product to the time you're wearing it and taking action. So learning about it, purchasing it, putting it on your body, pairing it with your phone, getting the software that you need. If somebody could do all those things better than us, that would worry me. Then you look at the sensor technologies that are out there. There's People talk about non-invasive, David. You've <laughs> talked about it in your articles. If somebody could do a non-invasive sensor, but it's as big as your phone and you've got to move it around your body every day, that's not non-invasive. Not invasive to me means it, in, it invades my personal space. C8 meta sensors. <laughs> I was at a meeting in San Francisco many years ago. A very large firm had just invested a bunch of money in C8 meta sensors because it was non-invasive. And I was in the room with all those people and they were telling me how great it was. I said, so how do you find non-invasive? Because that thing is a belt around your stomach with a thing as big as a, I don't know, a three by three by three box. You got to put gel on your belly before you put it on. You put it on and you got to move it every day. How is that less invasive? And I had a, a shirt on than this thing on my arm. So, well, it doesn't have a needle. I said, well, our, our needle's gone in seconds. <laughs> so, how's this person ever turn to the medical director there and go, yeah, how is what we're doing less invasive than that? <laughs> but if you had something that was, that was really easy that way, and as we're getting to non-invasive, as you get to the experience that we, we're going to offer with G7 and the sensors beyond that, as they're smaller, easier to put in, it's not that invasive. Well, let's talk about G7 just for a second. You know, explain how the footprint's smaller and the insertion. Footprint is smaller. We've gone to a completely disposable architecture. It's a little bigger than a nickel. The insertion is, is, is much easier. You just literally... the. We designed this thing for manufacturing, and we also were a little smarter when we built it. We knew we'd be in the drugstore, so we made it smaller for the shelf, too. So the insertion device and all the plastic that all your listeners are worried about, it, much less plastic for recycling than we have today. And you literally take it out of the box and unscrew the lid on the bottom, put it on, and you're done. Really, you don't feel it when you wear it. It's, it's that thin. It's that small. And we made a lot of other improvements to the system above and beyond just the size. But I do think that size factor will be important. It is as big a jump from G6 to G7 as it was from G5 to G6. And all of the equipment we bought for G6, we can't use for G7. You know, companies usually go through a cycle of 10 to 15 years where they manufacture 
similar things in the same lines. We're we're blowing it up now. We're blowing up less than five years into G6 use. We're completely different processes, different lines, different algorithm with a sensor, different everything. And that's the kind of decision that I get to make that I love that is appears to some as really gutsy to me since this is all we do. I don't have a choice. You've got to go be the best that you can. Well, Wall Street is helping. It's it's all that you do now. But yeah. you know, I mean, you're a publicly traded company. Obviously, yep. you, have, you know. I, I I know you keep saying you know that your goal isn't to sell the business, but you know I'm assuming that you know you've had interest or people. You know, our company's been so highly valued over the years that we kind of scared everybody off, and that's okay. And if somebody had interest, we. As a corporation, we go through the process of, of everything, but we, we really like doing this on our own. So, what, okay, so, but, but you did form a new unit, right? Looking at the new... We did. We formed a venture unit to look at other technologies to bring in, because one of these days, we're going to have to realize that we can't do everything. <laughs> we, we try and do everything. I mean, everything. And we think there'll be other technologies out there, particularly on this analytics and software side. We'll look at all the other sensors that are out there as well. Is there an investment to be made there? Is what is out there that could enhance our business that we could invest in, but not go acquire and let somebody grow and develop on their own? And Would that include, you know, something like what I call digital diabetes? Because you know you're gathering all this data, you know, and you're and you're not you're not quote unquote a Lavago or one drop or whatever, you know. But you know, it makes sense. If there was a really good one, sure things where we could take our sensor to other places like to the hospital or some of this health and wellness stuff. Those are the types of things we're looking at uh, to put money into. The minute we announced, we've had so many phone calls that the group can't keep up. And we've seen some really cool stuff. So, you know, stay tuned on that. Uh, but we do need to look at other technologies. Yep. But we don't want to own them all either. I don't want to go... I don't think it'd be in our best interest to go buy a bunch of startups that don't have any revenue and dilute our efforts even more and throw them into our system. Whereas if they're on their own and properly funded, they can probably go faster than we can and we can figure out where they're going to go. So that's, you know, that's the purpose of all that. So I've gotten different opinions on this. So we'll get your, we'll figure out where you stand. What role, if any, does digital diabetes play five years from now? Boy, that's a really good question. And I think a lot of it depends upon who runs digital diabetes. United Healthcare is running digital diabetes themselves for their United Health group with their level two program. So they're gathering data and they're type two diabetes focused, but that's what they're doing. I think there is an opportunity to give patients feedback to make them healthier, but it's really hard for me to figure out what the business model is because Livongo or whoever, there's a charge per month that they're, right now they're getting from employers to cover patients and stuff. Well, how do you prove that it's worth the charge? How do you get the charge covered? I, I, I think there's a model that has yet to be determined. You know, one of the problems that we created back in the day at Medtronic is we gave the data away with the device. You know, if you buy a pump, you get all the uploads and the software and the doctors get everything else. It's just part of the system. There was never any software or experience sold. So is there a world where insurance companies will reimburse a $50 a month digital diabetes plan and upon what conditions? 
And do you have to prove you have an outcome? I, I think there's an opportunity here to gather this data, but you've all got to be on devices that produce data as well for it to be valuable to the payer. You know, like I talked about the receiver for us. I would have assumed years ago when we got to the phone that I, we'd be getting every patient's data every day. And there is a significant percentage of patients who don't want to use the phone. Germany, for example, those patients that are hyper, hypersensitive to cybersecurity, they demand having a receiver. Even those who use the phone use the receiver a lot. So I think there's a place for it, but I've got to, we've got to see what the outcome is and how a patient's healthier, that the costs we're paying for this is worth it, that we've cut some costs from someplace else. Are we trying to cut doctor visit costs? Are we cutting prescription costs? Are we cutting device costs? It's got to fit within the model. Well, okay. Now, I know everybody's interested in this. What about you? How long are you here for? That's a good question. I'm 63 years old, and I've told my wife that I'll come home sometime. <laughs> but I absolutely love what I do here, and I'm as energized now as I've ever been, probably even more. And as we've grown our team here, and these guys have grown and developed, for a long time, I was very much into all the operations and every single thing. And, and these guys have gotten so good that my role is now largely strategic and, and I deal with big picture things and it has made my job really fun. So I'm here for as long as I, as long as the board will have me. And, but at some point in time, I'll call it a day. I'm not giving anybody a time frame, but I am giving everybody around me more to do. And, and more of the things that I used to do in the past because I need to grow and develop them. Whether they do this here at Dexcom or not, I think being a good leader, one of the things you have to do is grow those around you. And so, you know, it's like the venture unit we just created and Steve is over there. That's an opportunity that will be really good for him because he'll learn a different world and a different skill set and hopefully, and he'll, I believe, contribute a lot to Dexcom in doing that. And you look at, you know, the other people within the organization, we're trying to give everybody more and different opportunities but i you know i love what i'm doing i'd like to be associated with this place forever <laughs> uh, but i will there, there may come a day when it's when i just wake up and say it's done and i have to look i have to plan for that whether i'm leaving anyway that's part of being a, a good leader and having the chairman hat and the ceo hat has made me look at all this stuff a little different as chairman i said you know i gotta have a plan if i get hit by a bus where i was a ceo <laughs> i didn't really care so we're trying to build up our team we got some really good people here, and, and I would hope the leadership can come from within. But we'll also, you know, like any diligent company over time, it depends on when and how and who's here. But I plan on doing this for a while. You know, to, to wrap up a little bit, if you had a message, because, you, you know, we've been around the block. Which you would, and I have known each other for a long time. You know, and we've seen a lot of crazy stuff over the years, and there's a lot of startups, a lot of younger executives who are you know starting to get into this if you had a message for them what would it be what problem are you solving you know people look at our business and say look at dexcom's valuation i am going to go make another sensor and if i were going to go do that i would ask myself the question okay well what am i going to do better than they do because you have to do something better and, and you've made this argument and I've made it before and literally this is one of the things we've come to understand here more than ever. This isn't gonna be something with just a few thousand patients now and if a few million sensors. You're gonna to have to be able to go very, very big. And I think these things are gonna replace finger sticks over time. I think 
we can create a cost structure along with our competitors. We're all racing to that to whereby there really won't be a reason to stick your finger anymore in, in most countries. And, and so what problem are you going to solve if you're going to go after that in, in our space and make sure you understand it? And that's what I ask my guys all the time when they bring an idea. And okay, let's just start. Problem. The problem are, we solving, solving. are we solving today? And if we can't answer that question, let's just not talk about it anymore. And they're getting really tired of me saying that, but I think it is a really good place to start because if this were easy, there'd be a ton of us out here. You know, I was asked in an interview many years ago when I first started here by a Wall Street Journal reporter, what's your goal at Dexcom? And I said, to be one of the three. And the guy looked at me and says, what, what on earth are you talking about? And I said, in every industry they go through there's one company who starts it all then there's like 10 who get in and when all's said and done there's three that are left standing maybe four my goal is to be one of the three <laughs> that was my goal eight nine years ago and dang we are one of the three so well, we've 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 achieved that one but i think we just have so much well that's so much great to do kevin it's been a pleasure and uh, we hope you're around here for a little while longer. Well, I plan on staying here a while, David. You and I know. And you've known me long enough. It's not like I'm less crazy or energized than I was before. No, I absolutely love this. And it, it truly has been the ride of a lifetime.